You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Willem Arandis was an author and an illustrator. He was born in 1894 in Holland, and he was a gay man. After the Nazis invaded Holland in 1940, Willem joined the resistance. He started an underground newspaper and put his skills as an illustrator to work forging identity documents for Dutch Jews trying to escape the Gestapo. But the documents he forged could be checked against the originals, which were kept on file at a central population registry in Amsterdam. So Willem, along with 13 other members of the resistance, three of them gay men, blew the building up. They destroyed hundreds of thousands of identity records and saved countless lives. Willem was ultimately betrayed by someone no one knows who. He was arrested and he was executed. Before his execution, Willem told his lawyer that he had a message he wanted delivered to his fellow Dutch citizens. Tell the people, homosexuals are not cowards. On Saturday night, a man walked into a gay bar in Colorado City with an AR-15 and a handgun. He shot and killed five people and wounded two dozen others, and he might have killed more people. But two patrons in that gay bar, according to people who've seen security footage, rushed the shooter. One grabbed the shooter's handgun and clobbered him with it. The two patrons then held the shooter down until the police arrived. Homosexuals are not cowards. Bisexuals are not cowards. Trans people are not cowards. Drag queens are not cowards. Gay bars are supposed to be a safe space. People who hate gay people, people who hate queer people, they tell us to keep it private, behind closed doors someplace they don't have to see it. And the doors of a gay bar, those are doors we keep it behind. Gay bars are a place we can go to be together without bothering them, without bothering the haters, without annoying them with the fact of our existence. When we're behind those doors, they can forget we exist. And we can forget they exist. Not straight people. There are straight people in gay bars and clubs, our friends, But behind those doors, we can forget, we can suspend our disbelief and pretend that the haters don't exist, that hate doesn't exist, just for a few hours. An attack like this, not the first, not the last, and sadly, to anyone who's been paying attention, not a surprise, an attack like this says, not even here. Behind closed doors isn't good enough for them. It never was. It's not that they want us to exist out of sight. It's that they don't want us to exist at all. So if we're not safe in there, if we're not safe behind the closed doors of a gay bar, if we're not safe inside Club Q or Pulse or the Admiral Duncan or the Tepler in Bar, we have no choice but to come out and fight to make it safe everywhere for all LGBT people. Out of the bars and into the streets. That chant was heard during the Stonewall riots. The modern LGBT civil rights movement began with an attack on a bunch of queer people, gay men, butch dykes, trans women, bi guys, drag queens, being themselves behind closed doors. The raid on the Stonewall Inn was state-sponsored violence. The attack on Club Q in Colorado Springs was GOP-sponsored violence, the logical and predictable result of the groomer slur. You know, before Stonewall, they used to say there was something wrong with us because we only gathered in seedy bars, but those were the only spaces we were allowed, and we weren't even safe in them. They couldn't leave us alone. They couldn't let us be. And then when they attacked us in a gay bar one too many times, we poured out of that bar and every bar and into the streets, and we fought back. I'm not saying nothing has changed. A lot has changed. The governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, is a gay man. The police arrested the queers at Stonewall, who fought back. The police praised the queers at Club Q, who fought back. What I am saying is this. This attack makes clear. Again, it reminds us again 
that behind closed doors isn't good enough for them. It never was. They kicked in the doors of our bars and arrested us. They arrested us in our bedrooms and evicted us from our apartments and fired us from our jobs and made something that's already so hard to do, loving another human being, almost impossible. We fought back then. We fought back on Saturday night. And we're going to keep fighting back. Because if we're not safe behind the closed doors of a gay bar, if they can't let us have even that, then we're not safe anywhere. So we're going to fight until we're safe everywhere. Out of the bars and into the streets. And then back to the bars to dance with our friends and to remember who we've lost. And always remembering and always reminding each other and always telling the people we are not cowards. Okay, coming up on today's show, Dr. Carlton Thomas returns for a monkeypox update and it's good news. That's on the micro Savage Lovecast and on the Magnum, which you can subscribe to at savage.love. Professional dominatrix Anina Justice joins me to talk about her new book, Heart of a Dominatrix. And it is Thanksgiving this week. Nancy and I both wanted to say that we are so thankful for you, for our listeners, whether you subscribe to the Magnum or listen to the Micro, we appreciate you for being here, for calling in with your questions and your comments. Nancy and I love making the Lovecast, and we couldn't do it without you. So, thank you. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Foria. Foria crafts 100% all-natural sexual wellness products so you can experience deeper intimacy and transcendent moments of sexual pleasure solo or with your partner or partners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash savage. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by omgyes.com, a website devoted to women's pleasure. Check it out and get a discount when you go to omgyes.com slash savage. Hello. My boyfriend and I have been together for six months. We had our six months in um, end of September. And beginning of October, he sent a picture and video of himself masturbating to someone that had just randomly DM'd him on Instagram. I guess this girl sent him a video, so he was intrigued and then ended up adding her on Snapchat and sending some stuff back. The girl sent me the picture and the video. That's how I found out it all happened like in the same day. She DM'd me and basically it was just her asking asking for money saying, if you pay me 500 bucks, like I won't send your boyfriend's dick pics out to everyone in your following list. And I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> I didn't send the money, obviously. Like that's on him if he wanted to fuck around like that. Cause he didn't tell me obviously right when it happened, but the girl had eventually told, I think the girl told me like two hours after everything went down and him and I had been talking consistently that entire, that entire day. And I had seen him earlier that day. We had sex earlier that day. And then he left and then all this stuff just went down. He's going through a really tough time with some personal family stuff. And he said that he didn't have any ill intention toward me and that he wasn't thinking about what he was doing while he was doing it. And that he would have eventually told me because he tells me everything and he would have felt guilty, which I'm not sure if I 100% buy. I think it just hurts knowing that he, I don't know how long he would have gone on without telling me this and like, here I am like having sex with him like whole time knowing that that wasn't like a sacred thing that was just between him and I like he had sent like videos and stuff of himself. He said that he was at home by himself and he got really sad because of what he's going through and so then he got high and then he got horny and that's when he saw the DM from that girl and just like everything went down and like uh I just like don't really know what to do. Um, like I'm still with him, obviously, and like I said, we're gonna work, try to work things through. But like, and I know this wound is still so fresh. But like, I've just I have no one. I've told no one about this in my life. Like I've been dealing with this like on my own, and like he's gotten therapy like to help with 
what he's going through and like it was just like a way for him to prove to me that he was like still serious about me or whatever it's just is like rough because this was kind of like our first major fight i think the biggest like negative thing we've ever engaged in i don't know i just think i need advice i want someone to tell me what to do or like it just creates so much unnecessary insecurity and we're so early on like i just want to ask like what do i do like what what is your advice on this how do you how do you perceive this situation your boyfriend is the victim here, not just of his own poor judgment, lack of impulse control, women who want to see videos of random men they don't know jacking off and get on Pornhub, or just dive into their own DMs. There's no shortage of men out there sharing unsolicited dick pics and posting videos of themselves jerking off all over the internet. And so when I say your boyfriend is the victim of his own poor judgment. Yeah. Everybody knows if something seems too good to be true, it probably isn't. And a woman who is having to solicit for dick pics and videos of guys jacking off on Instagram, that woman is probably too good to be true. And your boyfriend somehow didn't see that, but that shouldn't obscure the fact that your boyfriend here is the victim of blackmail, revenge, pornography, And you can have sympathy for him there, I think. And maybe you should have some sympathy for him there. But I'm concerned that he's pointing to whatever else might be going on in his life right now as an excuse that he's trying to leverage whatever else it is that he's going through right now to win your sympathy here, to get himself off the I have piss poor judgment hook Yeah, people go through hard times. People find all sorts of different ways to manage their anxieties and self-soothe. But as a general rule, I don't think people start spamming out dick pics to strangers or sending videos of themselves masturbating to people that they don't know whether or not they can trust on Instagram to self-soothe. So while I think it's you know, I'm going to take your word for it. And and I think it's true. And I don't doubt that your boyfriend is going through a hard time right now. I don't think that these two things are necessarily related. Your boyfriend going through hard times, your boyfriend also simultaneously while going through hard times, horny and had access to the internet and did something stupid and something he's highly unlikely to ever do again and shared pics and videos with somebody that he couldn't trust. Sex. You've been having sex with your boyfriend. Sex can be sacred. Sex can be really intimate. Sex can really connect two people. It can also be true that for one or both of those people, there are things that they do that are sexual things that aren't sacred to the relationship or a relationship that are just basically being horny and fucking around and jacking off on or off the internet. And someone can have two different gears. The fact that, or many different gears when it comes to sexuality, the fact that your boyfriend, you know, was able, capable of doing this, sending a video of him jerking off to a complete stranger doesn't mean, isn't by itself proof that the sex that your boyfriend was having with you wasn't as meaningful for him as it was for you, just because your boyfriend did something meaningless with someone else doesn't prove that the sex he had with you, again, wasn't very deeply meaningful. But you're going to have to ask your boyfriend to separate these two things out. You know, there's the shit he's going through, whatever it might be, and you have sympathy for him, you know, for the shit that he's going through, whatever it is. But the getting on the internet and jacking off with strangers and the piss poor judgment that displays and how you got dragged into it. He doesn't get a pass for that because he's going through hard times, however much you might empathize and sympathize with him for the hard times that he's going through right now. And he shouldn't be attempting to manipulate you by playing the, I want to say playing the victim card here, but he legit is a victim here of blackmail and revenge pornography, but trying to offload responsibility for what he did, for the choices that he made onto the stress of whatever it is he might be going through right now that you have been there to support him about and might still be willing to 
be there for him and support him about, but he's going to have to take responsibility for the choices that he made. And you're going to have to, if you stay with him, and if you ever want to have another male sex partner ever again, you're going to have to allow for the fact that, you know, even if somebody's in a relationship with someone, even if somebody is very deeply in love with someone, they're still going to have masturbatory fantasies. They're still going to have a certain degree of sexual energy that is directed elsewhere, not to you. And, you know, maybe that's something that you can suspend your disbelief about and pretend not to know or want to know, but it's something that's going to be true. And you don't want to be with somebody who rubs that in your nose. You don't want to stumble over evidence of that. And you certainly don't want strangers throwing evidence of that at you on the internet and threatening to send pictures of your boyfriend's dick to all of your contacts or all of your followers or mutuals. But yeah, you're going to have to let go of the idea if you want to have successful long-term relationship that involves sex, that you own somebody else 100% sexually and all of their sexual energies and attention and desire is going to be directed toward you. Because I think that's what's really partly so upsetting about this for you is in seeing those videos, in seeing your boyfriend horny about and for someone else, your boyfriend of only six months, you in that moment became somehow aware that your boyfriend wasn't just horny for you, that your boyfriend is horny for you, but not exclusively for you. That's going to be true of this boyfriend that you might want to break up with if he's causing you this much pain, seeing as you also have only six months invested in him. But it's also going to be true of every other boyfriend or husband you might have in the future. Hi, Dan. I'm a 44-year-old gay man on the East Coast. My ex-partner and I of nearly 20 years split up about four months ago. There was more than one reason for the split. We initially met and became a couple when we were in our early 20s. And we've since matured into different people. And so there was a bit of a growing apart, as well as some communications issues. But what I believe is the main catalyst for the split is that my ex met a new guy literally half my age and started sneaking off to see him without my knowledge. And during the split, he was not upfront with a lot, a lot of this information. I had to piece it together myself, and that was very painful. My ex and I were fortunate enough to own our own properties and our own names, so being able to physically separate from each other was possible. And now that a few months have passed, I'm in a much better place mentally, and I've had some wonderful support of friends who have helped me gain some clarity into why the relationship ended. It's evident that my ex is clearly moving on, and I have a strong reason to believe that his new guy has moved in with him, at least part-time. So in my journey towards finding peace in this situation, I've taken on the mantra that I don't want to be bitter, I want to be better. And I've been able to let go of a lot of the hurt feelings because I hate the negativity associated with it. About a month ago, I decided to put myself back out there and meet new people, and I've met some new guys through professional networking and online. I want to form some new friendships outside of the friends that I have in common with my ex, and I'm now looking to be intimate with someone else. But I told myself from the start that I did not want to throw myself into a new rebound relationship right away. Instead, I want to casually date, have some fun, and perhaps experience a little bit of the slut era I didn't get when I became partnered in my early 20s. And that brings me to today. I met a new guy online about a month ago, and we started texting and eventually met in person. I was not expecting that the connection that we'd have, both physically and emotionally, would be as immediate and pure. We've continued seeing each other, and I even brought him with me to a friend's Halloween party as my date. My issue, Dan, is that I can't yet determine if the strong feelings I have towards this new guy are because he and I truly have a great connection, or am I feeling this way because there was a big emotional and romantic void in my life when my partner and I split. I feel good when I'm with this new guy, but at the same time, I feel some guilt because I still feel that I'm in my long-term relationship. I thought I was doing well in my journey towards independence, but now I'm left wondering if I'm moving too quickly with this new guy. Should I stick to my guns and maintain that I do not want to start a new relationship right now? Or do I let myself enjoy dating this new guy? Because he might just in fact be what exactly I need right now. I just don't know. And I'd rather not let this new relationship advance any further if ultimately the best decision for me is to remain single and unattached for at least a little while longer. Dan, what do you think? I think there's no right way 
to do this. There's no rule that you have to be, after a traumatic breakup, single for a certain amount of time to be healthy, to be ready for a new relationship. Rebound relationships have a terrible reputation, I think, not because there's no such thing as a rebound relationship that didn't work out, but because there's a lot of confirmation bias at play there. You know, when somebody gets involved with someone new quickly, shortly after a relationship ends, and like most new relationships, that relationship runs its course. You know, we date a lot of people. We marry very few people, hopefully, or only one person, which means in our romantic lives, when we're searching for someone we could partner with long-term, there is a lot of churn. There is a lot of, like Twitter, a lot of turnover. And so... Yeah, I think if you feel good about this guy and you enjoy spending time with him, you shouldn't deny yourself his company, his dick, his ass, his, this opportunity, because you ought to be single for six months or a year. And you never know. Sometimes those rebound relationships work out. Sounds like, you know, your ex wasn't even on the rebound. That was a concurrent <laughs> shitty, lying, cheatful, hidden relationship. But there was overlap. There was no break for him between you and the guy he's dating now. So why does there have to be a break between your ex for you and the guy you're dating now? There doesn't have to be. You don't have to remain single and unattached for some set period of time set by I don't know who and set for I don't know how long? Are you moving too quickly? Maybe, but maybe that's exactly what you need right now is an intense connection with somebody, a palate cleanser, a taint cleanser to help you get over your ex. But then don't tell yourself if this relationship, you know, is only going to be for only winds up being a three month or a six month thing that you shouldn't have gotten into it, that it was a mistake because you can't know that because you can't know whether, you know, if another year had gone by with you being single before you met this guy, whether you would have been with him forever then or been with somebody else forever then you just, you can't know <laughs> really. Sometimes I think when it comes to relationships, that expression, I don't know which movie mogul said it about Hollywood. Nobody knows anything. I think sometimes that applies when it comes to sex and romance and relationships. There are a lot of people out there like me and others who pretend to know everything. Uh, and there's a lot of conventional wisdom out there, like beware the rebound relationship that I just don't think is carved in marble. I don't think it's an absolute. And some of these shibboleths, some of these rules, sometimes the conventional wisdom, it's a whole lot of confirmation bias Never have a three-way. Three-way is always the end. That destroys relationships because you only hear about the relationships that the three-way destroyed because your friends who are out there, particularly if they're opposite sex couples, having successful three-ways probably aren't out about it, probably aren't telling you about it. So you only find out about those three-ways when they blow up a relationship and then that confirms your bias about three-ways. I think the same thing applies, that confirmation bias problem when we're talking about rebound relationships. But I say this as someone who broke up with his boyfriend and then began dating somebody. First time I went out, met somebody else, began dating that person right away. Still with that person 28 years later and change. Yeah, so maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm biased in favor of rebound relationships, considering how long I've been in one. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy, your space for erotic self-care. Dipsy is an app full of short, sexy audio stories, hundreds of them, designed by women for women. So if you don't like to watch or you're tired of watching and you'd rather close your eyes, lay back, and be read to, Dipsy is for you. You can search what turns you on with categories like friends and lovers, dirty talk, off-limits, male perspective, teacher, black voices, romantic, in public. The list goes on and on. Just reading that list is... Uh, cranking me up a little bit. And as you can tell, it's very inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners and 56% of their stories are voice acted by people of color. And the actors are top notch and there's nothing sexier than a sexy voice reading you 
a sexy story, and you've never heard celebrities like this before, listen to stories voiced by Sharonis J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook. New content is released at Dipsy every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories over and over again, you can always find something new to explore and enjoy. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories that you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the Savage Lovecast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you, dipsystories.com slash savage. Seriously, do this thing. You will be glad you did. Hi, Dan. Magnum subscriber here. A response to the anal prolapse question in uh, episode 830. I was kind of shocked that this might be a bad sign. I engage in anal play with my sub regularly, and he almost always has this rosebudding effect happening. He says it doesn't hurt him. He doesn't have any problems with like digestion or other issues that you mentioned and I'm wondering if I'm putting him at risk here with like pegging and fisting and these type of things. Joining me to help tackle this question, my go-to guy for rectal prolapse questions, Dr. Carlton Thomas, a gastroenterologist in private practice in Southern California. Hey, Dr. Thomas, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Dan, for having me. So uh, is this woman sub at risk since he regularly gets a little bit of a rectal prolapse when they fist or peg? Well, you know, it sounds like this is something that's not new for him and that uh, he hasn't had any side effects from it. So it really, uh, when I get worried about prolapse, it's it's really, is this new? How much is coming out? Is it getting worse over time? Uh, so if, if it's just a little bit coming out, say like the size of a, I don't know, like a golf ball. Um, and it's, and that's kind of normal, his normal, then I wouldn't get too concerned or upset about it as long as he's enjoying the, the, the pegging and the fisting. Now, if there's a lot more of the rectum, uh, sliding out of the anal canal, say like the size of a hamburger patty, then, uh, I'm a little bit more concerned about the fisting part of things because there's that tendency to pull the rectal mucosa back out with the, you know, with the fist. So um, I'd be a little bit more concerned if it's a new thing, if it's something that's progressing, or if he's having any complications from it. You know, when people talk about rectal prolapse, it kind of is alarming. Uh, and then you have to remind people that, that some folks do do this, yeah. which is to pull the lining of the rectum out through the sphincter mm-hmm. on the outside of the body for pleasure. Right. Right. And as you know, it, it's, it's when it becomes a, a, a larger amount, uh, is when that, in those long-term complications about being able to control your bowel movements or being able to actually have a good bowel movement because the musculature gets all screwed up from the prolapse. But as a doctor, is this something you would encourage people to take up recreationally uh, or is this kind of an ultimate varsity level this, kind of sex play it, that isn't advisable th- for us? That's pretty varsity level in my opinion. All right. It's a big, like, I want to leave that question aside because we only have a couple more minutes and I want to first congratulate you. You were named one of the out 100 this year. You just got back from a red carpet uh, gala in New York City where you were honored for your work on monkeypox. It feels like it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since we've talked about monkeypox on the show. And that's a good sign. What is up with monkeypox? It's it's an amazing sign. Actually, I just had a, a follower message me not too long ago and say, hey, you know, is monkeypox still a thing? And uh, actually, it is still a thing, but it's dramatically down from what it was at the peak. We're talking down over 90 percent as far as case counts here in San Diego County. Last week, we had zero new cases in the the, the whole week, which is a a really good sign that things are really, really calming down. Um, So I'm really thrilled about that because it means that a lot of the work that you and I did to try to raise awareness uh, seems to be working. And gay and bi men who were most at risk for contracting monkeypox went out, got vaccines as soon as they could. But more importantly, initially, a lot of gay and bi men 
changed their behaviors to avoid infection at the height of this public health emergency. And nobody expected gay and bi men to do that. Exactly. And the, even the CDC did a study about it. And it showed that 50% of gay men reduced their uh, number of sexual partners and reduced their number of one-time hookups during, the, the, during that time period. So, And 50% of new cases daily were from one-time random hookups. So that shows you the, the dramatic effect that that simple action had on things. And, you know, cases dropping by 90% doesn't mean we've eradicated monkeypox. Right. If you are not vaccinated, if you're a man who has sex with men and you're not vaccinated, go get vaccinated. You know, the risk is 90% below what it was, but it's still significant. And when you consider how horrifying right. a, a case of monkeypox can be, you want to err on the side of not getting fucking monkeypox, which means getting back and back. Right. It's still out there. Uh, you know, getting vaccinated is really, really key. I think one of the reasons why... It's it's not hanging around like syphilis and gonorrhea and chlamydia is that once you get infected, it seems like you can't get reinfected. And then it seems like these uh, vaccines, although there have been a case, there's been a case or two here and there that have people have been fully vaccinated and still got it. Most most of the time, the vaccine seems to be holding people from getting infected. So um, the, the change in behavior, the, ch the vaccinations, um, and then the fact that once you get uh, infected, you generally don't get reinfected. I think that's why this is, is, is dampening down so quickly. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for all the work you did at the outset of this public health emergency, all the education you did on your uh, social media platforms. I think you spared a lot of men um, from contracting this virus and having to go through the horrors of, you know, potential horrors. Some people had very mild cases. We right. don't want to make it sound like everybody was shitty, felt like they were shitting glass, but like right. there were some bad ones. <laughs> there were some bad ones and it wasn't anything that you wanted to risk. And I think yeah. your efforts really spared a lot of men. Um, are the reason a lot of people changed their behavior, the reason a lot of people got out there and got vaccinated, and you being honored as one of Out 100's, uh, I guess, people of the year, the Out 100, they're the like yeah. queer people of the year, you being honored, it's so well-deserved, and congratulations, and thank you. I truly appreci appreciate that. I never would have never pictured myself in a place like this, but here we are. Uh, and I want to have you back on the show on Sex and Politics with Benjamin Ryan, who covered the monkeypox outbreak for NBC News and the Washington Post. Um, I want to have you both on for us to have like a longer conversation about what happened, what it meant, and what it means for gay and bi men going forward. That, that would be so, incredible. I'd look forward to that. So everybody else, uh, we'll have a more extended conversation. And what a joy it is that we can have such a brief conversation about monkeypox. Absolutely. Now. Thanks again, Dr. Carlton. Thank you. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Euphoria, makers of products for amazing sex, the kind of sex you want to have. Products including arousal oil, clean lube, bath salts, and suppositories. People are literally saying things like this about Foria's products. This is a quote. I had a three-minute orgasm and then a five-minute orgasm and felt like I was surfing in a perpetual wave pool of pleasure. And another quote, we use Awaken, and when she gets on top, we both come so hard that we see sounds and hear colors. And it doesn't hurt when GQ calls you the best sex product of the year, and Shape says you are the best invention since the vibrator. Now, this is a little personal, but Terry and I tried the suppository and leave it to Foria to make suppositories sexy. They did it. I'm not sure what they put in there. I know there's CBD at least but they have some serious love potion energy. So yeah, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting www.foriawellness.com slash savage or use the code SAVAGE at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash SAVAGE for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. Hey Dan, I'm a cis queer woman. Just started dating a non-binary femme in a long-distance relationship. We're totally smitten with each other. Um, we both think safety is sexy but I happen to have herpes and they do not. So far, we've only had outer course, um, but we are ready to go further. 
I do have viral suppression medication and all that, but we're still going to want to use dental domes. My question is, are there tools that people use to keep the dental dam in place so it's not so awkward? I know that there are now laurels, disposable latex undies available, which is a great tool, but they are five times more expensive than dental dams, which are already more expensive than condoms. I'm hoping to find a way to make oral, oral barrier methods sexier and easier without having to shell out a ton of cash each time. So maybe your listeners know suggestions on the best way to keep a dental dam or a piece of saran wrap or cut up condom, how to keep it in place. Could you use a shibari rope harness, crotchless panties, a crotchless strap-on brief? I saw literally one option for professionally produced dental dam harness, and it wasn't inexpensive and it had zero reviews. Am I manufacturing a problem where there isn't one already? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but herpes is a sexually transmitted infection that can be passed along through skin-to-skin contact, through what most people understand as outer course. Inner course, there's some insertion involved. Outer course is understood to be a lot of sort of frottage, rubbing on and around each other. Also using vibrators and toys externally, Uh, So maybe that's what you're referring to. But yeah, if you're engaged in outer course in the style of perhaps scissoring or humping each other and naked, that risk for herpes that you're using dental dams to avoid during oral sex is present. It's present. If you are taking um, valacyclovir or some other med that suppresses outbreaks and you are careful not to have sex during an outbreak, seems to me that the risk of transmitting the herpes virus to your new girlfriend, I'm sorry, to your new NB friend, your new femme non-binary friend, would be very, very low. And that should be a risk, I would think, if your non-binary NB friend is a rational person who's rational about risk, would be willing to assume you know, the risk-benefit analysis, the risk of contracting herpes under these circumstances, very, very low. The benefit of being able to have oral sex without figuring out how to staple gun a dental dam in place, worth the risk. But you guys get to make your own decisions about risk and your new lover gets to make their own decisions about risk. And so I'm going to give you the advice you asked for. You already know about laurels, which are basically dental dam uh, panties, dental dam shorts, recently approved by the FDA. Amazing that it took, you know, dental dams, they really began to crank those out at the height of the HIV AIDS pandemic. Amazing that it took this long for someone to make shorts out of them. There was always this struggle with people who actually were using dental dams about holding that thing in place. It took sort of uh, two hands. And I'm not going to make that staple gun joke again because it probably caused some people to flinch, but two hands. And it was awkward and would often slip. And, you know, if you're using it for cunnilingus, there's a lot of folds and it could get wedged into those folds through the pressure of the tongue. And then pretty soon you weren't, there wasn't a barrier here and there, perhaps during oral, but panties, basically making latex or shorts out of the entire dental dam, that works. So, you know, if you want that kind of protection, you might have to shell out that kind of money for for laurels. I think they're five or $10 a pair. They're not that expensive. There are also harnesses out there that can hold a regular dental dam, which is just a rectangle or square of condom grade latex in place. Laurels are supposed to be, I believe, used once and then disposed of. There are also latex, there's latex clothing. You can get latex shorts, you can get latex pants, you can buy latex panties that are a little thicker than condom grade latex and reusable. You can wash latex clothing uh, and wear it again. So there are options. You're still going to have to shell out some money if you want that protection that a dental dam can provide during oral. But I think 
if your outbreaks are rare and you're taking those meds, yeah. So yeah, you have choices beyond awkwardly attempting to hold a dental dam in place, buying a dental dam harness that may or may not hold a dental dam in place, buying laurels, which definitely will hold that dental dam in place because they're dental dam panties, basically, or investing in some slightly thicker latex wear that's going to cost more up front, but is going to last a lot longer. You'll get more use out of over the long term. This episode is brought to you by OMG Yes. Those who continually explore ways to experience and create more pleasure for themselves and their partners are five times likelier to be happier in their relationships. But you know, life can get in the way. Stress, family, busy schedules, up and downs. So much conspires to separate us from prioritizing pleasure and intimacy. OMGYes.com is designed to keep women, men, and couples inspired to increase their intimacy and pleasure solo and together. It's a beautiful and intuitive website where you explore new techniques from the largest ever representative research studies into women's pleasure. This is peer-reviewed, published research, not BS sex tips. You'll see hidden details in hundreds of clarifying animations and tasteful videos where women show techniques on their bodies as comfortably as if they were sharing a recipe. A study out of Indiana University's School of Medicine showed using OMGS for a month had significant large effect increases in pleasure and orgasm solo and with partners. And 95% of users experienced new kinds of pleasure they'd never felt before. L calls OMG Yes the best gift you could ever give yourself. GQ said both of you will reap the benefits. And Men's Health called it remarkable and useful, marvelously in-depth. Get a discount at omgyes.com slash savage. That's omgyes.com slash savage. Show your support for the Lovecast and your relationship by going to omgyes.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am going to my first leather event and play party this coming weekend. I'm very excited, but of course, also a little nervous. And I am planning on just running with this adrenaline high through the next week to the event so I don't chicken out. But I was wondering um, if you had any advice or words of wisdom or recommendations for a first timer going to a play party kind of what to expect, what to wear, especially like what pants should I wear? How do I navigate socks? You know, if I have to take off my socks at any point, where do I put my belongings? Um, This is going to be like a pretty large event. It's not a small play party and I am going alone. I'm definitely anticipating probably just observing for this first go around. I'm going to be flagging, but other than that, would love to hear what you or your listeners have in terms of advice or also words of encouragement. I hope you had fun. I hope it went well. You know, this is a weekly sex and relationship advice podcast. If you call and say, I have something coming up this weekend, by the time I can listen to your call and we can put another show together and get it out, the weekend will have come and gone. So I'm sorry I couldn't offer you any advice about what to wear to your first leather party in advance or what to expect at your first big leather BDSM play party in advance. Uh, I'm sorry you had to fly blind by the seat of your leather trousers into that situation. And I hope it went well. As you probably learned when you got there, most big play parties have coat checks and Clothes checks. A lot of them have locker room areas because people who can't travel in gear, can't leave home in gear, might want to change when they get to the event. And so events, you know, they want people to be in gear. They want people to be in fetish wear. And not everybody can take the subway in fetish wear or put on their fetish wear and then go pick up the babysitter. (laughs) And so, yeah, most big play parties, leather events, they have changing areas, locker rooms, coat checks as you discovered. Your concern about socks seems a little anxiety-driven. You don't walk around play parties, typically, generally, without shoes on. So socks would never be, you can wear whatever socks you want. Nobody's probably going to see them, and you're never going to most likely have to take your 
socks off. As for the rest of it, you know, I hope it went well. I hope you didn't feel pressured to play. A lot of, you know, BDSM play parties are really good about emphasizing consent and yes means yes and what someone's wearing isn't permission to touch them and uh, that there may be, you know, newbies at parties who are, you know, want to become comfortable in the kink scene and so want to just at their first event kind of get the lay of the land and observe too many looky-loos at a party can throw it off. It can make the people who are actually there to play feel like they're on display, like they're in some sort of, you know, they're animals in some sort of kink zoo. But everybody I know who goes to play parties are fine with some people who are hanging back. You know, you don't want to reach that tipping point at a big leather BDSM play party where 90% of everybody is hanging back. But if you, even a large percentage, a significant percentage, everyone is pretty comfortable with. And it's not just altruism that makes people who are more serious players comfortable with those who are just there to observe at first, because somebody who's a looky-loo at their first play party, of course, can become a person that you get to play with, the more experienced player gets to play with at their next play party. Have fun. I hope it went well. Uh, If you want to call us back and let us know how it went, I'm sure we'd love to hear about it. All right, before we get to listener response calls, let's read some tweets. Thomas Carver tweets, Archimedes, give me a lever and a place to stand and I can move the world. At Fake Dan Savage, your dick is a lever. Honesty is a place to stand. Maybe you can move this guy out of the closet. And this is why I'm a Magnum subscriber to the Savage Lovecast. Glad you enjoy my work, Thomas, because I have certainly enjoyed yours. Listeners who are interested in gay erotica featuring Dom sub themes, check out Thomas's work at his website, thomas-carver.mailchimpsites.com. Mr. KNE tweets, just finished listening to the latest Savage Lovecast about the caller whose husband is currently deployed. Be careful with that deployment hall pass. Adulterous liaisons are highly frowned upon in the military, regardless of spousal approval. All right, I guess we can add the military code of justice to the list of things I know nothing about. Even though organized swinging is alleged to have gotten its start on Air Force bases in the 1950s, it would seem that adultery, even consensual adultery, can get you dishonorably discharged, stripped of your pension, and thrown in a military prison for a year. Yikes. And Scott McHugh tweets, My memory may be faulty, but I believe I have the honor of being the first tweet read by at fake Dan Savage when the Savage Lovecast first began reading listener tweets. So I'm banking this tweet here in hopes it's the last tweet Dan reads when Twitter spectacularly implodes. Well, we'll see what happens. Scott McHugh's tweet that I just read could be the last tweet that I read here on the Savage Lovecast, or if Twitter hasn't imploded, or I haven't left by next week, I could read your tweet next week on the Savage Lovecast. Be sure to use, for now, the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And thanks to everybody who's posted about the Lovecast this week to your social media accounts. Help spread the word about the show. We really appreciate your support and your chatter. All right, now listener response calls. This is a response call to the woman in episode 838 that was having some issues with lower libido. Um, She did mention that she used to masturbate in response to stress. And this was something that I used to experience a lot. I had really high anxiety and I would have a ton of sex basically to treat my anxiety. And now that I have gotten my anxiety under control, I don't want to have sex as much. So it might be kind of a positive way to look at it that maybe you have your mental health in a better place than it used to be. And I can tell you that with a little bit of rewiring of your brain to see sex or masturbation in a different way, you can get back to loving sex, but not as a response to stress. This is a response to the caller who felt really bad after that sex party in episode 838. The most common phrase of that is called drop, and it's the feeling of when you experience a high that a sex party can give you. Going back to the everyday monotonous life, there is a severe drop in dopamine in all of the happy, sexy feelings that you can get. (laughs) And while Dan's example of ecstasy is not wrong, you know, it's, it's also like a lot of times what you need is to have a plan of self-care day or a day where, like, aftercare, 
that's the word. You need aftercare for days like this, especially if you know that you're going to have a drop after something so heightening and so amazing. Hey, this message is for the dad who feels uncomfortable buying his daughter a sex toy. I am not a parent, but I was once a teenage girl and I found that when I started wanting to do things more adult, I had a checking account that I put my allowance and my eventually my paychecks into. If you give her a checking account, then she has a little more financial freedom to purchase what she wants. She doesn't have to get approval from you to purchase these things. It also, you know, makes her work for the money to buy those things, but it gives her privacy. It makes her feel a little more adult and then, you know, teaches her a lesson on how to spend her money. So if you want to treat your daughter a little bit more adult, I would say get her a checking account so she can buy the dildo on her own and go and pick it out without her parents watching over her shoulder. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or to comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com or you can call us at 206-302-2064. Be sure to check out this week's Savage Love at savage.love slash savagelove. In this week's column, I've got some advice for a sad daddy about the boy who got away. Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Solstice all coming up. The Magnum Savage Love Cast makes a great gift, as do GGG mugs, Savage Love t-shirts, and Fuck First mugs. Get your orders in now. Tech savvy at-risk youth love taking orders, and they are ready to take your order now at savage.com. Also coming up, the submission deadline for Hump 2023 is just a couple of weeks away. Go to humpfilmfest.com for all the info you need on getting your dirty little masterpiece into Hump. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Dr. Carlton Thomas on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Carlton. And follow Anima Justice on Twitter at Anima Justice. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.